Good, everyone. How's it going? Everybody good? Awesome. It's great. It's uh, good to see you guys here this evening. Great to be able to see you. Thank you for coming out on QB Weekend as well. Look at you. You guys are like the faithful few, aren't you? You guys just love church. You guys are such churchy people. Oh, that's uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so tonight we are going through the Lord's Prayer, like Monica said, and uh, this week we're picking up. We've gone through all the different phrases. We've done Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so that's what we're focusing on tonight, that very, very last line. Um, but before we jump into that, um, I wanted to talk about something else really briefly, and that has to do with honesty. How many of you guys would consider yourself an honest person? Is that? Oh, there's a fair few of you. You guys are better than me. I'm going to have an honest moment with you. Hey, see what I did there. And I, I'm going to say I have a bit of a, a challenge with honesty um, in that I feel like I struggle with being honest to people, but not in like a bad way. It's like in a good way. And you might relate. It's, part of it is because I grew up in Mexico. And in Mexico, you're often very polite to people. And on top of that, my parents were pastors. And so I was like the pastor's kid. And so I had to like not tell the truth politely all the time right? So, hey, could, Colin, wouldn't it be great if these guys came over for dinner? Yeah, I would love that. Colin, don't you think they've done a great job? Oh, it's amazing. Haven't they spoken so well? Great. Haven't they sung beautifully? Amazing. It's just a level of politeness, which there's like a sociable, acceptable of lying. And that would also come true. Um, it got even more twisted. Haley didn't realize this when we met because Haley's very down the line about what's right and what's wrong. And I've got a little bit more gray, but part of that was because when I uh, was traveling between the US and Mexico, we would often bring in sound systems for the outreaches we were gonna do. We would bring in um, computers that we would use at different programs. The only issue is that that might've been slightly illegal at the time <laughs> to bring in undeclared goods. And so I remember specifically as we're going through these border travels and particularly with Mexican police at that time, they weren't the most honest of policemen. So if they saw anything of value, they wouldn't actually give the government any of the tax from your imports. They would just pocket it for themselves and keep the cash. So I remember my dad specifically telling me, so Colin, we're driving through the border. If they ask you what we're doing, say we're going on vacation. And if they want to see your bags, show them this bag. And so I'm like, there's a 10-year-old like, okay, I guess lying to the police is fine. And so it kind of developed this thing within me where honesty became a slightly gray area for me. And it came to a head when I started interacting with other cultures, specifically the German and the Dutch. They have an ability for truth-telling that goes beyond anything I've ever seen before. So I'm, you know, this good Hispanic kind of pastor's kid that politely lies to everyone to not hurt anyone's feelings. And then we would be at this YWAM school where you'd have all these different cultures getting together. And here you'd have these Dutch and these Germans who would tell it like it was. You know, like all the girls would be in their dorm room and they, you know, at a YWAM school, you eat a lot of food. And so there'd be a regular discussion as all the girls would be like, well, I, do you think I've gained weight? Do you think I've put on a few pounds? And all the other Americans and usually British would look and be like, and Hispanics would be like, no, no, you look great. You've not put on any weight at all. And the Dutch girl would be like, Yes, you have gotten fatter. 
At which point she'd ball into tears and she's like, I don't know what I said. She asked the question or someone else, one girl, I remember specifically one girl got a haircut, right? And she's getting this haircut and then she comes out with this bob and everyone, she's like, oh, I don't know. Do you think it, do you think it looks okay? I'm not, I'm not really sure about it. And everyone else is like, oh, this looks great. And I'm there and I'm like, oh, you look amazing. And then this Dutch girl goes, no, it makes your face look boxy. <laughs> and I was like, oh, but when that happens, something within me felt so uncomfortable because I think honesty is something that I'm like, when you get that raw honesty, it's like crazy weird, hey? It's both refreshing and terrifying at the same time. And I was, as I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about the scripture we're looking at tonight, I realized that there's a level of being honest with other people that is quite difficult. When you get really, really honest, which means you're getting really, really vulnerable, when you have to do that with other people, it's incredibly difficult. And it's incredibly awkward. And then as I look through this verse even more of lead us not into temptation, what I realized is that this verse makes us do something even more uncomfortable than being honest with someone else. It has us take a moment where we have to be honest with ourselves. Telling someone that their haircut doesn't look great is a lot easier than looking at your own heart and saying, I need help. Or I can't handle this on my own. Or I've screwed up. I'm the one who needs to go apologize. That kind of movement of self-realization and looking inward at yourself and saying, this is where I'm honestly at, I think is one of the most challenging things for us to do. But regardless, at this point in the prayer, that's where it takes us. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Now, it's... Difficult to understand this verse at first, because when you, read it, when you read it, you're like, well, lead us not into temptation. Does that mean God is normally going to lead us into temptation? Like, is God in the business of being like, here, why don't you just go do all these things that you shouldn't do? Well, obviously we know, no, that's not correct because God never tempts us. That's not who he is. He can't do that. That's not in his character. So then if it's God not leading us into temptation, what is this? What does this verse mean? What does this line of the prayer talk about? What is Jesus trying to have us get at in order to understand it? And to understand it, we have to look at one word, which is a word we're often really uncomfortable with in today's society. And that word is sin. Now, sin, when Jesus said it, it fit really well within the cultural time frame. Everybody really understood what it meant. Everyone was like, yep, I'm on board. I understand the role that sin plays in our lives. But nowadays, that word doesn't so easily gel or vibe in our culture, eh? I mean, honestly, when I hear about the word sin, the first thing that comes to mind are the street preachers that I remember seeing on the corner of London. And they're the ones who'd stand there and they'd get up on their soapbox and be like, you are sinners and you're burning in hell. And I always be like, wow, that feels really, thank you. It's very kind. It's really loving. And it's even more awkward because they would, they would push sin so hard that it felt so irrelevant to life. Like, for example, my, my friend Lalo, who's from Mexico, is in the band that I was in. He was walking through London one day, and one of these street preachers comes up and says, you are a sinner, and you're going to burn in hell unless you repent of your sin. And Lalo, who has been a Christian for most of his life, at the time was working as a Christian missionary in Youth with a Mission, was like, hey! But Lalo's kind of more rude and honest than I am. And he'd be like, how do you know I'm a sinner? And just like asked him point blank, at which point I felt really awkward at the honesty. And uh, the street preacher looks at him and he says, it's because you have an earring. 
you're a slave to the world, you're a slave to your temptations. At which point Lala was about to unleash a very non-Christian response and I hurried him away um, in order to save us all the embarrassment. But often sin brings up that connotation in our minds, eh? Sin, you're a sinner, you're bad, you've done something evil and it becomes this impersonal thing. Like it's this, because we exist, we're inherently dirty and it's really easy to disassociate ourselves from sin. And while that's a popular notion today, that's not necessarily a great biblical picture of sin. In fact, throughout, throughout the whole of scripture, this canon of scripture, you see the weaving of the effects of sin all throughout. And its effects are way more nuanced and way more complicated than just bad you, you're going to go to hell. See, when you look at sin, you look at, you have to understand that God has created things good. He's created a way for us to thrive as humans. He's created us for relationships, to relate to one another, to take care of the earth, to grow, to be involved in business and technology. He's created all these great things for us to do. And what you see in scripture is sin is this weird twisting and this corruption of the good that God has intended. And it becomes this self-destroying nothingness that takes away everything that was good and leaves nothing but brokenness and hurt in its path. It's sin that when you think of Adam and Eve at the very beginning, it was sin that made them think that they could be like God. And so they forced their way into the top to take charge. It was sin that made Moses think that he can go and kill a guard to execute his own form of justice and self-satisfaction. It was sin that made Jacob and Esau fight and attack each other and twist and lie to one another, all to try and seek the good that would normally come from their father's approval. It was sin that eventually led the kings of Israel who thinking they needed to protect their society took their babies and threw them into a fire as a sacrifice to the gods. It was sin that made them think they were doing the right thing. It was sin that made the Jewish leaders look at someone like Jesus who had done nothing wrong. who was perfect in every way. And it's only sin that can make them look at, at him and think, yes, the thing we need to do to protect our people and our heritage is to kill that man. And so you see the weavings of sin, this destruction of what should be good being twisted into bad, and it hurts and kills and destroys whoever touches it. It's a disease that has come upon humanity. And you see its effects today. It's sin that can allow someone to twist religion into a means of attacking and slaughtering innocent people on the street. And it's sin that will make us look at people who are different from us and be inherently afraid of them. It's sin that will make our economies based on slave trade and forced labor. It's sin that will terrorize and destroy our relationships. It's sin that when we are in a close relationship and we feel it falling apart, causes us to lash out and hurt the other person before we get hurt ourselves. It's sin that causes us in places where we feel uncomfortable to isolate and pull away. And as a means of passive aggression or a means of self-protection, we pull away from anyone who might come close to us, who might infringe upon our space. And it's sin that leaves us in these isolated little bubbles from which we can never escape. See, when a, pre when a street preacher shouts out, you're a sinner burn in hell, it feels disassociated. But if any of us think, Sin is the thing that keeps you up at night. As you ponder your life, as you think over your hurts, over your pains, 
over those who have hurt you and attacked you. And it's sin that causes you to late at night think about yourself rather than those who you might have hurt along the way. See, I think if we're honest, sin is not something far and disassociated. Sin is something that we are all too familiar with. Or at least I am. I'm all too familiar with the brokenness that it has caused in my own life. I'm all too familiar with working with people whose lives have been torn apart by its effects. And I think if we're honest, we all would be too. So when you have this phrase, lead us not in temptation, there's this honest statement where Jesus is saying, as we pray, God, let us not fall into what is so easy for us to fall into. It's this honest reflection that says, yes, sin is there. And you know what? I'm a sucker for it every time. Every single time. Every time I'm going to reach out to that. Every time I'm going to pull that way. I'm going to react selfishly because that's just what feels most safe. It's what's most self-gratifying. Saying, God, lead me not into temptation. It's this guttural heart cry that says, God, you know me. And I know me. This is where I'm at. And I'm going to stay here unless you do something about it. It's a cry that says, God, this is where I'm going. And it's a moment of honest self-reflection where we recognize how easy we fall into the sin that so easily entangles us. And how powerless we are to break our own addictions. The thing is, if we're honest, I think this prayer, this moment of self-declaration, this honest reflection can actually be the, one of the most freeing things we can do. Because it means we get to let go of the masks that we often wear to hide the sin that we live in. And particularly if you're a Christian in here, I think you know what I'm talking about. We are very awkward around sin, which is funny because we all say, guys, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm just like you. But we do not talk that way. You want to know how I know? When I was doing a theological study, we had a class called Christian Spirituality. And in this class, we talked about, you know, ways of praying and ways of becoming closer to God. It was kind of all this kind of spirituality stuff. And so on one of our lectures, we decided, or the lecturer wanted us to talk about sin. And I remember just laughing because here's a place where all of us as Christians, we all say, oh, I'm just as flawed as you. We're all broken. We're on a journey together. And then they had a moment. They're like, hey, do you guys want to talk about some of the sins that you face or the sins that you walk through? And this is no joke how the discussion went. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, if I'm honest, guys, look, honest moment here. When I wake up, I find it really hard, you know, to read my Bible. So I watch TV instead. (sighs) I'm really sorry. And someone else was like, bro, it's okay. It's okay. There's forgiveness there. And someone else was like, you know what? You know, sometimes we, when I have my money, sometimes I think I should give it to someone else. And then I don't. And I feel real bad. And somebody else was like, hey, it's okay. There's forgiveness. And I'm sitting at the back and I'm just as bad as everyone else because I'm not going to say anything either. And I'm like, well, this is the sum honesty that a bunch of Christians who've been journeying together for weeks can come up with. What's our sin? 
Well, when I wake up in the morning, I watch TV instead of reading my Bible. That's like the most self, like, like surface level sin you could ever come up with. No one was ever like, I watched porn this morning and I feel okay about it. No, that did not happen. No one was like, yep, I sleep with my girlfriend. No, no one's talking about that because we feel so awkward and shameful about sin because we hold up this image because we're Christians and we think, oh, everything's perfect. We walk around saying, well, yeah, I'm probably tempted by the lesser things, but thankfully I'm not tempted by the bad things. And we come into a place like this and we worship. We say, God is good. But during our week, what are the things that we've been involved in? What are the things you've dabbled in? How have your relationships gone? Have you responded kindly when you've gotten into an argument? Have you listened to someone else rather than jumping in self-defensively? Have you gone through the prayer as you watch porn one night and then wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, I will never do it again. Only then to go and do it again the next evening and then to wake up and then do it again the next evening and then to do it Monday through Friday and still somehow think, yeah, no, but it's okay. God's going to deliver me. It's fine. When we cry out, when this, this prayer comes through and Jesus has us go through this moment, we say, God, lead us not into temptation. There's an element of wonderful, joyous freedom in opening up and saying, yeah, this is me, God. This is what I struggle with. I struggle with looking at pornography because it's incredibly self-satisfying and I get a hit of intimacy when I can't find that anywhere else. And that's what I'm going to keep on going to unless something changes. Yeah, God, I find it hard to relate to people and I lash back and I attack because I'm afraid of what they're going to do to me. So I end up sabotaging my relationships. I do that because it's the most self-satisfying and safe thing that I can feel. Can you see how there's an honesty when you begin to pray that way? And then when you come to God as your father, you no longer come with a mask. You no longer come trying to present yourself as this presentable person before God. You come with all of your humanity, all of your brokenness, all of your sin. And you say, God, this is, this is me. Let me not fall into temptation. Let me not stay in the sin and the brokenness which surrounds my life. Let me not continue the patterns of sin that have characterized my family from generation to generation. God, let me not act like my father or my mother to my children now. Because if you don't act, I'm just going to keep repeating those same patterns. Because the same disease that has corrupted humanity for all those years still rages war within us tonight. And there is freedom such freedom in saying, God, this is who I am. This is where I'm at right now. Lead me not into temptation. And I'm so thankful that the prayer does not end there. It does not just end with God, just let me not fall into things. But there's a second half, which is so important. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Deliver me from evil. Now, um, for those of you guys who know, uh, at the Sunday nights and the last few months, we have run a series called It's Okay Not to Be Okay. 
And uh, it was an amazing series. I was so profoundly moved by all the things we talked about. This core message was, it's okay for you to be broken. It's okay for you to not be okay. It's okay for you to not have it all together. God meets you in your brokenness. We, we brought up all these tensions and realized that, you know, God doesn't always fix things in a day. And sometimes you have to live a lifetime with the struggles you're facing now, or sometimes life doesn't work out perfectly. And you have to walk through the grief of what that looks like. And we did this amazing series, picking that all up. But today, what I love about this prayer is there's this flip side to that message that we shared for those few months. Yes, God meets us in our brokenness. Yes, he understands us in our grief, in our faults, and in our failures. Yes, he comes alongside of us and gets stuck in the muck with us there even then. But the beautiful message is that God does not leave us there. But God is in the process and in the business of transforming and delivering us out of our brokenness. And we have to hold these two in tension. I would be brokenhearted if you came and all you ever heard is that God's just going to cry and feel bad with you. I'd be brokenhearted if you think God's never going to change or break into your life or break or change any of those patterns that you've been stuck in for years. I'd be brokenhearted if you think, well, this is how my family's behaved. My father's been an alcoholic. My grandfather's been an alcoholic. So, you know, I guess I'll be one too. And Jesus can be with, in the, uh, be with me in the midst of that. I'd be, I would be torn if we leave in that place and you don't understand that there is deliverance in God. He is in the business of changing our lives. It's the story of what he has done throughout all of scripture. What happens when Israel is waging away in slavery for 400 years and they cry out, God, deliver us from evil. What do you have? The Exodus. And then as Israel is stuck again in exile under foreign occupation, under the midst of the Romans, and they cry out, God, deliver us. What do you find? Jesus comes in and opens up a new way. Even those who do not know they're in bondage, you have people like Paul who was so torn up in his sin, so caught up in the way of operating that he presided over the death of Christians because he thought it was the best and most safe thing to do for his people. And what do you find? A God who transforms. God meets with him on that Damascus road. And from that day, Paul is never the same. He then spends his lifetime in a radical different direction, 180 degrees from where he was, and he's almost unrecognizable. What you see in the first few chapters of Acts and what you see at the last few chapters of Acts are fundamentally different. God is changing and transforming lives. And he still does it today. If you were here this morning, I don't know how you could not be moved by Pat Buckley's story. A story of someone who was bound in drug addiction, weeks away from death. Here's the voice of God calling him out. And he is never the same. And he has spent the last years and years and years leading other people in freedom out of their bondage into freedom in Jesus Christ. I'm sure if you just looked at this room, if you asked questions to each and every one of us, there would be moments all of us can point to and say, God did that. God delivered me from the brokenness that I was stuck in. I found healing from the sickness that I was bound with. I found strength from the loneliness. I found community because there is hope in life in Jesus Christ. And we need to know that. And if we lose that, what do we have? 
I'm, I was struck by one bit of transformation, which is um, really personally profound for me. Is uh, so uh, my grandfather um, just had a really significant event. He just celebrated 50 years uh, as a Assemblies of God minister uh, just this week, and I got to watch the whole thing online. And I was so profoundly moved because this man's story is phenomenal. He's uh, comes from a difficult and complicated family background, was adopted out when he was really young to a different family, grew up knowing nothing about God, uh, far away from him, rebellious, um, nearly died multiple times in car accidents, was into drinking, eventually joined the military and was incredibly angry, incredibly burdened, incredibly broken, and a tortured kind of man as he went about his existence. And one day, on a night not much different from these nights while he was traveling with the army, he got uh, leave to leave the base and to go into town. And by some miracle that he still doesn't quite know, he got pulled into a church on an evening meeting just like this. And he was sitting in one of the back pews just over there as someone like me was going on and on and on and on. And as he sat there, someone who had never really been in that journey from God he says the guy didn't even speak that well, but as he spoke, he kept hearing the words of Jesus over and over again, come and follow me. He kept hearing God calling out to him. And so at the end of a service, just like this, the preacher says, if you need to know this freedom in Jesus Christ, if you need to know this healing in him, would you stand? And he didn't stand. He was so nervous and so angry. He gripped the front of the chair in front of him with like a death vice grip and would not move and sat in his chair. And so again, the preacher kept on talking and said, and if this is you, you need to stand. And he said, nope, I'm sitting there and I'm not going to move. And then the fascinating thing is he said the third time the preacher called out and said, if this is you and you need to receive the call from Jesus Christ, he says, I don't know what happened. It was like someone lifted me out of my chair and I stood. And he says, when I stood, God broke something in me. Years and years of pain and anguish and hatred and, and jealousy and insecurity from his family background and his life choices just came pouring out like this torrential river. And he just wept and he wept and he wept and he came forward. And this person who is so far from God was transformed and delivered into a radically new person. He left the army went and joined Bible college, something he thought he would never, ever do. And then once he finished Bible college, he traveled overseas to be a missionary. And he spent the next 30, 40 years as a missionary and church planter, planting churches all over Panama, Costa Rica, Spain, Colombia, Mexico, then worked with church leaders and church planners in LA for the last 10, 15 years. And so when I got on the computer and I got to watch this moment, I looked at this man who for 50 years has been transformed by the power of God. For 50 years, he is a different person. That wasn't a temporary thing. It wasn't just a fad. He was delivered, transformed into a new creation. And that is part of the gospel, friends, that Jesus transforms us into new creations. He transforms the broken parts of us. He transforms all of our baggage and our hurts, and he makes us new in a way that we can hardly recognize, in a way that brings life and light to those around us. 
And so as we come to the end of that prayer, you have those two moments, an honest recognition of where we are at, but then a huge statement in faith of what God can do with even that. Let us not fall into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's an honest heart cry and a statement of crazy, passionate faith held in tension with one another in belief of a God who can do all things. So I wonder if I can invite the team up. We sang a song earlier um, that's, that's been new, but the bridge just gets me every time. And I wonder if there's something that we can respond to in it here tonight. It says, I've seen you move, you've moved the mountains, and I believe that you can do it again. See, as I was prepping for this sermon, I just felt so strongly there are those of you here who need to know that, A, in your brokenness, that is okay to come to God as you are. That you don't need to run from him. There's no mask you need to wear. There's no perfect Christian image mold that you need to fit in order to be recognized by God. But then at the same time, I'm here to tell you that God is offering freedom, hope, and transformation for you. If you are languishing, stuck fighting against things that you can't get free from, if you feel bound under loneliness, isolation, selfishness, jealousy, bitter, bitterness, hurt, and pride, there's freedom and deliverance for you in that prayer that we pray, deliver us from evil. For what God has done for Israel, what God has done for Paul, what God has done for Pat, what God has done for my grandfather, God will do again for you. I believe he can move the mountains and I believe that he can do it again here tonight for you. And so if that is you, as we sing this, let this song not just be a song that you sing. Let it be a heart's cry, a prayer for freedom and hope and restoration that God would move in you because that is who he is. And that is what he does. Let's stand as we pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, a Father who is close to us, who calls us his sons and daughters, even when we were far away from him. Holy is your name. A holiness that doesn't retreat from us, but a holiness that transforms us as you come close. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Not ours, because we get it wrong all of the time. But whatever you want, whatever you have in store, we want that because that is what is best. How you designed our lives to be is the best life that we can live. It's the the greatest life that we could ever hope to know or understand. Let our lives reflect here on earth what you have in store for us in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Supply our needs. We don't need a steak. We just need enough so that we can be generous with one another, but close to you in faith. Forgive us of our sins that we do so often and help us to forgive those who sin against us, which is so much harder to do. 
and lead us not in temptation. Let us not stay in the brokenness that we find ourselves. Because God, I want to stay there all the time. It's what I know. It's what feels comfortable. It's what feels easy. It's what I feel drawn to. And without you, without your grace, that is where I'll stay. But deliver us from evil. Free us from the sin that entangles us. Set us free from the bondage we are stuck in. From the mindsets and the patterns that keep us in the same circles over and over and over that keeps us running life like a treadmill. Set us free into your plans, into your purposes. Free us from the evil that plagues us and deliver us into your family, into your kingdom because we've seen you do it in the past. And tonight we believe that you can do it again. Amen.